How's everyone doing? We're glad that you're here this morning. Glad that you uh, bared the weather to join us this morning. And um, from the video, the reverse there, um, what happens if they never get married, right? So we're in week five of our series from this day forward, which was our marriage series. And um, when we first set out to do this series, it was originally going to be four weeks, you know, but but last week we were talking as a staff and we and we we felt led that there's another group of people in our church that need the same type of encouragement. You know, they need they need a word. They need a, they need to know what they can do from this day forward. You know, and if you're not married and you're single, and realize there are a lot of single people within our body that need that same type of encouragement. All right. So I would say to you, you know, that we should be embracing our singleness. You know, and you may say, why do I need to embrace my singleness? You know, or, or you may say, oh, I've already embraced my singleness. But when likely, you're just going along with it. But why do we need to embrace our singleness? You know, I don't want to embrace my singleness. You know? And I get it. You know, I myself am single. And I struggle with, with, with sharing this with the church, but I, I need to confess you know, that I struggled with preparing this message this week because singleness is a topic that I don't like. I mean, if you know me, it's, I don't generally I don't like to talk about it. You know, hey, I got somebody I want you to meet. Well, I don't, it's good for them, you know. But it's something that I, sh- it's, it's a topic that I generally struggle with, right? But the Lord has used that this week, one, to encourage me and, and, to, and, to, and to grow me and in turn use me to help encourage you that are single here today. So if you're, if you're married here this morning, don't check out because just like the previous four weeks, you know, where focus was on marriages, those practical things that were taught in those weeks, you know, a single person can use in any relationship they have. And the same is such for this morning. If you're married here this morning, at one point you are single. If you're married and you have kids, guess what? Your kids are single. So they need that encouragement. They need this message. And they need to know biblically how to embrace and why we should embrace that singleness. Before we do that, before we get to embracing and how and why we do that, first we need to define singleness. How do we define what it means to be single? You know, culturally, that's a very, I found it's a very difficult thing to define really what it means to be single. You know, there's three different ways here that you can look at it. One is, you know, you're legally single. You know, you're either married or you're not married. There's not a box on your taxes that says, I'm seriously dating my girlfriend. You know, there's not a box that says, you know, I've been dating my my boyfriend for three years and we're moving in together. You know, there's not a box for that. You know, some single people that aren't married, people that aren't married and identified or identified as single, don't like to be called single, so they say, well, we're coupled. But there's not a box for coupled. Legally single is you're either married or you're not, right? And there's also socially, socially single, and this is where it can begin to get kind of hazy as far as how you define singleness. But socially single is you are not in a romantic relationship that someone else would deem as serious, you tracking on that? So social, socially single is someone else perceiving your relationship with someone and, and deciding if you are serious with that person or not and whether they're going to decide if you're single or not single. But what, what do you consider a serious relationship? What's the baseline for that? Well, how long have you been together? You know, would, I guess would be a way you could figure in if someone is in a serious relationship or how much time someone spends exclusively with someone else. You know, do they plan to stay together? Do they plan, you know, are they living together? 
I asked Google, um, you know, if you want to know something, ask Google, right? See what it says. So I asked Google, what does it mean to be single? You know, and the number one response was just the definition of the adjective single, you know, just by itself, only one or the opposite of plural. You know. But the second response that Google gave to define singleness and being single is unmarried or not involved in a stable sexual relationship. And that kind of, I mean, it didn't fool me, but it just kind of surprised me. It was a stable sexual relationship. Because if you were to ask me, what is my opinion, or what do I think a stable sexual relationship is, I'm going to say a marriage relationship. But Google's distinguish the two. You're either unmarried or you're not in a stable sexual relationship. All right? So if you're here today and you're engaged and you're going through a mer merge class and you have honored the, the Lord in your relationship, You've had no sexual intimacy with the person that you're promising to marry whatsoever. And you've, been, you've remained pure. According to Google, you're not in a relationship. By their definition, you're still single. Regardless of where you're at, you could be getting married tomorrow, but if you're not having sex with this person more than once, because how, how else do you find stable, you're still single, according to Google. That's our culture's view of what it means to be single. And culturally, there's also that negative stigma that comes with being single. We don't like being called, some people don't like being called single. Or you're unmarried. People, you're identified as unmarried. Some singles would say, well, why aren't married people called unsingle? If I got to be called unmarried. And the third thing is personally single. You know, how you view yourself. If people, people look at you and they see, if people look and they see Jack and Jill, but you identify as, well, Jack, and then there's Jill, right? People see two people go fetch a pail of water, but you're going up the hill by yourself, right? And Jill's down here. She's got her own pail. Not her. Right? But it's how you perceive yourself, personally single. But it's not an easy thing to define singleness in our culture, what really is singleness. But the simplest form, if you're not married, you're single. But also the, in our culture, there's this... There's almost this push. Singles, I mean, you may be able to identify with, it, with me on this. There's almost this push to be in a relationship, that you need to be with someone. You need to have a boyfriend or you need to have a girlfriend. You know, people ask me very recently, Cody, how, why, are you, why are you not married? How are, how are you still single? Women are crazy, right? <laughs> but the, the reverse, the reverse is more likely true that I'm crazy, Right? See, head nod, head's nodding. Y'all quit. Right? Don't agree with me. But, but there's just that push. You know, people ask that. But hey, you should, you should. You need to be with somebody. You need to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. But where does that start? Think about it. when When does that begin to play out in our lives? And I've seen it very early on. You know, just recently we had Valentine's Day, right? And uh, most singles hate that holiday. Call it a holiday. But we just had Valentine's Day. And... And, you know, I heard that, that my nephew, he, you know, he had a girl at school that liked him, you know, at one point. You know, so teasing him. I pick on, you got a girlfriend, and he gets shy and shy away. He doesn't really want to talk about it, you know. And, and we laugh about it, and it's cute, but we're almost kind of pushing that, you know, you, you need to have somebody. It's okay to have a girlfriend. It's okay to have somebody like you. you know, my niece, I'm not asking her if she's got a boyfriend, because I don't want to know, because they'll put you in jail for throat chopping a kid. Right? <laughs> Can't do that. But I saw a video on Facebook um, over Valentine's Day. 
And you might have seen it, but there's this little boy, and uh, somebody asked him who his valentine was. And he began to cry. And he really began to cry because he didn't have a valentine. You know, we say, oh, that's sad, it's cute, you know, and stuff like that. But it's, it's horrible. To me, when I look at that, it's horrible that a four-year-old, three or four-year-old, would already understand and grab a hold of the thought that he needs to have a girlfriend on Valentine's Day. And the fact that he doesn't has distressed him enough to where he begins to cry about it. That is what our culture has created, and it starts at that age. So that child takes that mindset and that understanding of and that need to be with somebody and that you should, and if I'm not with somebody, then there's something wrong with me, right? And then they take that into high school, and then they get into high school, and hormones just go crazy. Then all of a sudden, there's that attraction, that all that back and forth. We've all been there in junior high and high school. If you're in the middle of it, I pray for you. But we get it. We just perpetuate this. We got to, we need to be with somebody. And if you're not with somebody, well, there's got to be something wrong with you. Right? You ask a girl out on a date and she rejects you, and that rejection is just devastating because you're supposed to be with somebody and you can't. Right, so, singles in here, we just get that feeling that we're, we're alone. You know, we have that longing to be connected to somebody, but we can't, and we almost kind of isolate ourselves. You may relate, you know, when someone asks you, you get your couple friends ask you to go do something and you don't go do it because you don't want to be the third or fifth wheel. You don't want to be the odd man out. You don't want to answer the question, well, who are you with? Well, I'm not married. Well, why not? You don't want to go through that, so you just stay home. And we almost isolate ourselves sometimes. And we feel like everybody's getting married around us and we're not. But the cultural trend is just the opposite of that. According to a Barna survey that was published just this past month, from 2000 to 2016, adults that were remaining single, ages 25 to 29, rose from 50% to 59%. Ages 30 to 39% rose from 24% to 34%. So 19 percentage points between those age groups in 16 years. That's that many more people remaining single. And then the opposite of that, adults not getting married went down. Ages to, or, or adults getting married went down. Ages 25 to 29 went from 43% to 36%, and ages 30 to 39, people getting married, adults getting married, went from 65% to 57%. So more people were staying single and less people were getting married. According to the 2011 census, the average age of the first marriage in 2011 was for women 27 and men 29. And that's up from 23 and 26 in 1990 and 20 and 22 in 1960. In 1960, 72% of the population was married. In 1976, 63% was married. And that number today is 52%. So 52% of our population is married. Half of our population is single now, by cho mostly by choice. So if you ask me, Cody, why are you not single? It's most definitely my fault. If half the population is single, it's got to be me, right? By those numbers. But that's staggering to me. I did, that blew my mind that there's that many people staying single and that little people now getting married. So I asked myself, why? What is the reason? Why are people choosing to stay single? And I saw read studies and, and questionnaires and surveys here, and some of the most answers, responses that I read, and these are not in any particular order, but one was freedom. I mean, that's easy enough to think about. I want to stay single because I want my freedom, right? I don't want the old ball and chain. 
I don't want to be tied down to anybody. I want to do what I want to do. I want to have freedom to move about and do what I want to do. I get that. Others that say they want to work on themselves and better themselves. They want to work on their careers. Nothing wrong with really personal growth, right? But they want to work on themselves. Others say they don't want to be in a serious relationship. But they confess they don't want to be in a serious relationship, but for their fulfillment, they opt for casual relationships. They just hook up, meet here, date here, date there, and play the field, as it said. Others are fearful due to past relationships, and most of us probably can relate in some way to that. But past relationships, that's what they are the baseline of our present relationships or our future relationships. If you're married here, you probably know that, that past relationship you were in, you brought some of that with you when you came to your marriage. And the same is there. And then you have to work through those things, right? But people fear that, you know, so they're remaining single. They don't want to get married. You know, some don't want the obligation to go to their significant other's family functions. <laughs> That's the one, you know, I, I don't really get it. But they, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't want to go to their in-laws. I guess I do get it. <laughs> but people are putting off marriage because I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to go have to do these things with somebody else's family and friends. They're not my family and friends. I don't want to deal with them so they don't get married. Another reason is to save money. You know, I don't want to take on somebody else's debt. I've got my finances in a row, so the reason I don't want to get married is because I don't want to take on somebody else's debt. So what do we do? What do, they, what do people do instead of that? I'm not going to get married because I don't want to take on your debt but I'll casually date you. I'll date you. We'll, we'll be together for five years. I'll move in together. We'll coexist. We'll be coupled, but we won't be married. But it's a picture. All these responses here to me is a picture of another trend in our culture, and that's the me trend. Just about every one of these responses has to do with self and satisfying self. Now, what's wrong? Now, what's wrong with trying to better your, further your career? Nothing inherently is wrong with that. But if you're foregoing, you're pushing everything else aside to continue to excel yourself forward, you know, you're making everything about yourself. You know, you see that more and more in our culture, more and more people are concerned about themselves and what they can do for themselves. They don't want to be tied down because they don't want to be concerned for anyone else. They don't want to help anybody else along. Their mindset is this person is going to keep me from doing what I want to do. So I'm not going to commit to that. But for me, you know, when people ask me that question, and this is something that the Lord really hit me with this week in my study, was whenever I'm asked that question, Cody, how are you not married yet? Why are you still single? You know, my response is jokingly, well, women are crazy, or it's me. But both of those responses always have to do with me. Because women are crazy, well, that's just how I perceive women or how they respond to me. But it still has to do with me, not anybody else. But I realized, and I couldn't think of one time in my life where I've been asked that question, and my response was the reason I'm still single is because simply that's God's purpose for my life. Culture doesn't encourage that. If you're single, it's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with somebody else. But my answer and our response is typically not, I'm single because right now the Lord wants me single and being content with that. 
And in these questionnaires and surveys that I read, not one time did I read that response. And every response given, not one time did I read someone saying, I'm single because that's what the Lord wants for me right now. And I'm content with that. So that's the cultural view of singleness. And it's hazy. It's jacked up. I mean, it really is. I mean, on this side of marriage, in our day, in our society, being singles can be jacked up when you're trying to do the right thing. But that's our cultural view. So we're going to shift now from the cultural view. Let's look at what, what, what does the Bible say about it? How do we embrace our singleness in a biblical way? First, I think we need to understand our purpose. What is our purpose on this earth? If we're going to embrace anything, singleness, marriage, so on and so forth, whatever it may be in this life, we need to understand what our purpose is in this life. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, but whom I created for my glory. We were created for his glory. Our created purpose is to glorify God. That's our primary purpose. Everything else is secondary in this life to that right there. Our purpose in creation is to glorify God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. Again, we were created by him, but we're created in Christ Jesus for good works and to do good works. And those good works do what? They glorify God because they're of Jesus. So if we're doing good works as we're created to do, being his workmanship, we're fulfilling our primary purpose of glorifying God. But he says, which God prepared beforehand. And this is where, when it comes to purpose and what we're doing and what we're here for, it is very hard to understand and wrap your mind around. It's hard to explain and it's definitely hard to define. But he said, which God prepared beforehand. Psalms 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He's saying before we even had form, before he knitted us together in our mother's womb, our days were formed for us. So beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, he prepared beforehand that we should walk in these good works and things like that. But before he even formed us, he formed our days ahead of us. So if he formed our days ahead of us, then God's plan and purpose is laid out for our lives. But don't we have free will? Absolutely. This is the, how do you define this? Every bad decision and sin in my life that I did didn't, that didn't glorify God, well, how was that within his purpose? How do you reconcile the sin in our lives that doesn't glorify God? But we glorify God either indirectly or directly. But if our created purpose is to glorify him, that's what he created us for. He's going to get glory in us. So the bad things that we do, the choices that we make, he will indirectly glorify himself, and we will likely never see it. But I presently want to live my life in such a way where I'm glorifying God in the middle of his will right now. That way I can see the blessing of it. Not do something bad and then years later maybe get to see how God was glorified in it and what he did but to directly and tangibly see it right now. What a purpose is to glorify God. So the question then is, if our purpose is to glorify God, are we doing that? How are we doing that? And how in our singleness, singles, how are we in our marriage as well? How are we fulfilling that purpose? How do we do it? 
And why should we embrace this singleness in a biblical way? And how do we do it? So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, he gives us four reasons why we should embrace our singleness. Verse 25, he says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Now, mind you, this is my struggle. This is my least favorite passage in the entirety of Scripture because he's trying, because Paul is trying to encourage me to stay single and never get married. Be honest. I would like to get married. I would like to have kids. And the Lord knows that, but Paul here is, he is encouraging me to not do that very thing. But the what I grab a hold of in this is 25. I have no command from the Lord on this. If you're single here today and your heart's desire and your longing is to be connected with someone and have a wife or a husband and have children later and raise up a bunch of good Christians and honor God in that and show the gospel to the world through your marriage and your desire is to do all that right, the Lord knows that and the Lord is not commanding that you can't have that here. To me, that is important that Paul says that. I have no command from the Lord here. But I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. But Paul, spirit-inspired nonetheless, though he does not have a command, is giving his advice. And Paul's advice should never be taken lightly, whether it's a command from the Lord or not. So know that and grab a hold of that before we continue here. But it's not a command, but it is highly encouraged by Paul. In 26, he says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Well, thanks, Paul. (laughs) So reason number one Singles, why we should embrace our singleness is to avoid worldly trouble. Simple enough. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that single people, we don't experience worldly trouble, because I do. I create a lot of it on my own. I'm sure you do as well. But we have worldly trouble. But, but in a marriage, marriage people will really know this. Some of us really can't exactly relate, but you have extra kind of troubles within your marriage because there's two of you, Right? Center here, center here, and you're coming together as one flesh, right? You got double trouble, right? You're bringing everything from your past, and you're bringing it right here, and you got to work through that, so you have worldly trouble there. Paul says, I would spare you that. And he says, I think that in view of the present distress, and the present distress could be just the distress of the time, the persecution of the church at the time, the Roman persecution is about to happen, or he could simply mean just this church age, this sinful age that we live in. That there's going to be oppression and persecution, and it's hard. There's a mission to do. And it's better. He's saying it's better. I would spare you the worldly trouble. It's better that you could stay single and not have to deal with some of the things that married couples are going to have to deal with. He continues in verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, wouldn't that conflict with what he just said? If you've got a wife, don't leave her. But he's saying here, if you have a wife, live as if you have none. So what does Paul mean there? This is Paul's way of urging those who are married to not let their spouse spouse distract them from their ultimate purpose, right? Because remember, our primary purpose is to glorify God and his mission, right? And in Christ to do good works. 
But he's saying, don't let your wife, the time is short, don't let your wives or your spouse or your husband distract you from doing that very thing. But if you've been with us the last four weeks, husbands, if you are leading, loving and leading your wife as Christ leads you, and wives, if you are respecting and submitting to your husband as the church does to Christ, then you're going to do well. And you do those things unto the Lord, then you're going you're gonna to move forward. You're not going to have that distraction. You are together as one flesh are going to be moving forward in your purpose together for the gospel. That's what he's saying. He's saying don't let your spouse become a distraction to you. Live as if you have none. And he goes on in 30, And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. And it's the same picture as before. And he says, For the present form of this world is passing away. So the second reason we should embrace our singleness is because the present form of this world is passing away. He says, the time is short. Even if you are married, don't let your spouse be a distraction. Come together as you should, holy and righteous, and live together in harmony as you should, as Scripture teaches, and move forward. But don't let it distract you. The times are short. If you're single, don't let all this stuff that's in this world distract you from what you got to do. He says it's permissible. You can weep. You can rejoice. You can buy. You can use the world, but not to the extent that it would ensnare you. Because this present world is passing away. The time is short. There is a mission at hand. In verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion. So number three is we embrace our singleness to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. A married man is divided. He is biblically instructed to look to the interest of his wife. Wives are biblically instructed to look to the interest of their husband. Though devoted to the Lord and his call in their life and their purpose and his purpose for them in their life, they're still divided. They still have to look to their interest. But an unmarried man or an unmarried woman doesn't have that. They can be fully devoted to the Lord. Missionally, you can take risks. If the Lord places a call in my life for me to move to Mexico, I can pack up and I can go. I don't have to run it through anybody. If I'm married, <laughs> my mother just raised her hand. She's like, you got to go through me. <clears throat> but if I'm married, then he's got to run it through my wife. You know, if God, the Lord puts a call in my life to move somewhere missionally, he's going to have to call my wife as well. But what if my wife is not on the same level? What if she doesn't want to go? What if she's not asking that question because she didn't want the answer? Thus, I'm hindered. I have to look to her interest. I'm divided. But a single person can take that risk, can leave on a dime and go. Elisha in 1 Kings 19, he was plowing his field with 12 yoke of, 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And Elijah comes by and places his robe over him and he recognizes his call. 
He stops what he's doing. He chases after Elijah, and he says, let me first go kiss my father and my mother, and then I will come and follow you. So he goes back, and not only does he kiss his father and his mother, he sacrifices all of his oxen and burns them with the yoke, and then he gives it to the people. So he felt the call on his life, and he burned everything that he would have to go back to. That is an undivided devotion to the Lord. Recognize this call, got rid of everything, and he went. A married man or married woman cannot do that. So Paul says, secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. So what he's saying there is if he thinks he's not behaving properly to his betrothed, so if you're engaged in here, you're in a serious dating relationship, and you're feeling you have that longing, that desire for physical intimacy, and it's growing, and you think you can't control it, you think you're going to fall into that temptation, Paul is saying, you need to go ahead and get married. That's the second time here he says in his discourse, he says, uses that word passions. Back in, in verses 8 and 9, he says to the unmarried and the widowed, he said, it is better that you remain single as I am, but if you cannot exercise self-control, it's better for you to marry than to burn with passion. The meaning of that passion is sexual immorality. Don't let that rule your life. Don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that sin. Sexual immorality is just one of those things that Scripture just over and over and over is adamant against because of how detrimental that can be to your faith and your lives and your relationships. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to a culture where sexual immorality is rampant at that point in time. Matter of fact, back in chapter 6, he says, he says to flee sexual immorality. He says, says here in verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. If you're single in here this morning, flee sexual immorality run away from it. And that's me included. Because as much as sexual morality was a bad thing in that culture, our culture and society today, sexual morality is rampant. Don't kid yourself. It is everywhere. And singles, it's in your face. It's okay to do it. It's more and more and more widely accepted. And it's actually strange now that you're not living and sleeping with someone before you're married. If someone were to ask you, single person, when was the last time you had sex? And you know, oh, I don't know. It's been years that it's going to be strange to them. How did you do it? Well, I do it by the power of Christ in my life. Should be the response. But all too often, that's not our response. To fit in, we make up a lie, man, last week. But that is such, that is sexual morality. And he says, flee from it, run away from it, the opposite direction from it. 
He says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were, for you were bought with the price, so glorify God in your body. But it's tough, it's not easy. And it's in her face all the time. I recently, uh, I got to go see a screening of a movie called The Case for Christ. It's a movie adaptation from Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. It's a very good movie, and it comes out April 7th. And I encourage everyone to go see it. Go get the skeptic that you know or the non-believer that you know and go watch this movie. But I heard a statistic at the end of that screening. A guy told us that, that on April 7th that The Case for Christ is going to air is going to go out in a thousand theaters nationwide on April 7th. And he made this contrast. He said, 50 Shades Darker released in over 3,000 theaters. That's the difference in our culture. Uh, the Case for Christ, 1,000 theaters on its opening night, 50 Shades Darker, 3,000 plus. In Fifty Shades Darker, that ought to give it away. It's darkness. I hadn't watched it or read the books, but I know enough to know that Fifty Shades Darker is the fallout from the sin in Fifty Shades of Grey. But that has become the plumb line of sex and dating and relationships in our culture, within our church. Paul says, flee from it. He says, flee. And the fourth point as to why we should embrace our singleness is so that we would remain pure for the Lord. Remain pure. Romans 12, 1 says, Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Romans 8, 29, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, not the patterns of this world. Be different. So we need to understand and embrace our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. In our body, outside the body, everything that we do. And in our singleness, we have such a greater opportunity and availability to do ministry work and gospel work with our singleness. So embrace that. So from this day forward, husbands, love and lead your wives as Christ leads you. Wives, respect and submit to your husband as Christ leads you. And singles, embrace your singleness. Take risks, but glorify God. Seek to glorify God in what you're doing as Christ leads you. But we need to stop looking at the world and what the world has to offer and look at what the Lord freely gives. If we would all, singles, married couple, everybody, if we would, we would take that mindset and our wills and our desires and our wants, and as Jesus said, lay them aside. If anyone wants to save his life, he must lose it. Die to yourself daily. Take up the cross daily. We should look to the interest of others before ourselves. And if we begin to do that and align our hearts and our wills with the Lord's and begin walking in that, singles, if he purposes for you, if he wrote that day for you to be married, if we would align ourselves with him, guess what? He's going to lead you directly to that person. And he's going to lead that person to you. It's going to take longer if we're walking our own path. But if we align ourselves with him 
and embrace our purpose and glorify God daily. He's going to lead us where he would have us go. And there's a peace, there's a comfort that comes with that. That you're not alone, you're doing what you were created to do. But until that point, singles, embrace your singleness. Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word, Lord, and just, Lord, the challenge of your word, Lord, and uh, the truth of it, Lord. And I just thank you for Paul's encouragement, Lord, and, and though it's something that I don't necessarily like to hear, Lord, I just pray that you just help me and help the singles in here, Lord, to just embrace that singleness, Lord, to, to find contentment, Lord, with where we're at and understand, Lord, that where we're at is where you have us right now, Lord, and just embrace that, Lord, and just allow you to use us in a mighty, mighty way with that, God. And I pray that we trust you, Lord, to lead us wherever it may be, if that be to a marriage or if it just continue to be in this world, spreading your name and your gospel, Lord. Let us do that, Lord, for your sake, Lord, and to glorify you. And Lord, I pray for the husbands and wives and the, the married couples in here, Lord, and those that are soon to be married, Lord, that they would, they would honor you, Lord, in their marriage, Lord, that their marriage may be a picture of the gospel to this world, that when people look at their marriage, they see Jesus and they see the church, God. And then they, in turn, want to be a part of it. And that they, in turn, glorify you because of it, Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, just encourage us daily with that. Teach us how to do that, Lord just practically as we communicate and we come and go through this life and our daily lives. Don't let us get set in our routine, in our culture, in our society, but let us get set our feet in your will and your purpose, Lord. Lord, I love and thank you for this church and its people, Lord, and what you're doing here. And I pray that you continue to do that and use us all in a mighty, mighty way. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.